Leadsman, sound off. By the mark. Mark one. Mark twin. Oh, the jungle VIP I've reached the top and had to stop And that's what's bothering me Warning, be a man, do man not bump right Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness A podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney I'm Chris Bowersox And I'm Kyle Skinner And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic Generate a bracket and debate our way through the madness To figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Chris, we're back. Last bracket, we talked best on-screen food. Got us in the mood for Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is over. We can stop faking how thankful we are for grandma's undercooked Brussels sprouts. It's time to get mean. Tonight, we are talking the worst Disneyland attraction. This is we we haven't done much like negative brackets in the past, and we're diving into like what is the worst attraction. I feel like we tend to turn our best brackets into worst things a lot of the time. Like we don't not be cynical on this podcast, but this episode I think is going to be extra spicy, and I'm really looking forward to it. We're talking. Worst Disneyland attractions. That is current Disneyland attractions. I'm sure there will be a time where we'll talk about some defunct attractions, both the good and the bad. I cannot wait for that day, but that day is not today. So we're keeping it in 2020. If the park were to be open, of course. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, we can only go based on the knowledge that we had in March of this year before everything went down. And to help us, on this fantastic voyage, we've welcomed back one of our Disney Parks experts. It's Mandy. What's going on, Mandy? Hello. I am so excited to be back. We're stoked to have you. Uh, last time you were here, you helped us figure out what the best Disneyland soundtrack on an attraction was. This time you're hopping into the worst. So when you got the ask from us the, to come on this worst show... Uh, what what was your reaction? What were your thoughts? I was over the moon. I am so <laughs> ready to like talk smack about some of these rides, and it is going to be spicy for sure. Well, I think we might need a little chaser for all this spice, which leads us into our spoonful of sugar segment. Kyle, what is in your cup today? This has been a, a busy week of work. I I've wanted to kind of expand. Maybe that's my resolution for 2021 is to start getting back into the habit of trying new drinks on the show, bringing, bringing new recipes, doing new things. Uh, life in 2020 for all of us was crazy, and this week was no different. So I went uh, with a Mai Tai. Uh, I, instead of lime, I added a little bit of grapefruit juice, so give it a little bit of something different. And for this episode, I'm going to call it the Pirate's Lair on Tom Sawyer's Mai Thailand. Ooh, I love it. <laughs> Pun game was strong today. Chris, what do you have in your cup? Kyle and Mandy, for a lot of people, this is the most wonderful time of the year. Mm -hmm. For me, it's not the most wonderful time of the year to buy beer. 
because I do not like like heavy winter lagers. So yeah. I went into my grocery store today to buy like a six pack, 12 pack, something like that. A little bit tasty. And like all of the beers were, were those winter lagers with Santa Clauses and <laughs> snowflakes and icicles on them. And I was like, I'm not into this at all. So I had to grab a cider and I got a woodchuck cider. It's a little bit autumnal, a little bit folly, but I'm going with it because I can't drink these heavy beers. Yeah, why Mandy, not? Mandy, what are you sipping on? Yeah, so I recently got to attend a virtual mixology class, and uh, oh. I made this drink in that class. Um, it has ginger, mango jalapeno jam, lemon, rum, and simple syrup. And uh, because of its golden color and its spice, its heat... I'm calling it Nemo's Hotbox. <laughs> Let's yes! go! Uh, Nemo's Hotbox makes its first appearance on this bracket. <laughs> and we haven't even started. Jalapeno jam. That sounds great. What is yeah. that? Is, is that? Do you make that yourself or do you have to buy that somewhere? You buy it at like a bougie store like Whole Foods and it's uh, mango <laughs> jalapeno and it's delicious. Uh, gosh, that sounds good. All right. Well, to... Rank our 16 worst Disneyland attractions. We had to choose a demographic to survey, as we always do. <laughs> this time, we isolated a very specific type of people who have been very vocal lately <laughs> on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook. And these are construction delay complainers. <laughs> yeah. Now, look, Disney has a lot of money, but they're... Purse strings get tied up sometimes, and we've seen them do some pretty crazy things to uh, help mitigate their losses during this time, and one of them's got to be construction delays. Yeah, I mean, you can't expect uh, a company that laid off like 30,000 employees to get anything done in their parks that's like non-essential, right? It's sorry that we're not going to see, you know, whatever the, the Guardian's coaster in uh in epcot anytime soon is it this is just the world we live in nothing time means nothing right now i'm kind of like relieved a little bit that the cherry tree lane makeover at epcot is kind of like delayed a little bit because i was like very nervous about <laughs> like the type of mary pop and steaming they're gonna put in there so i was like uh, i'm okay if like maybe we don't do that immediately like give me some more time to process that <laughs> well maybe it'll give them more time to process it maybe that's what you need is them to sit on that idea for a little bit longer i guess so all right well before we get into our bracket of 16 of course as we do with every single bracket we gotta talk a little bit about what missed the dance and for me chris it is all of those random little attractions in Toontown. I'm talking the Chippendale Treehouse. I'm talking Donald's Boat. I'm talking Goofy's Playhouse. Now, the, the way they exist now is completely different from when they were first introduced to us when Toontown opened. You, yeah. <laughs> you had like Chippendale's Treehouse that was this like interactive play structure that you could slide down a slide into like a ball pit. Now, granted, this is all for kids, all for kids. And so a human like us in our current state would never be able to make it down the slide. However, as a child, this would have been incredibly fun. I don't know that I did any of these. I don't remember if I did any of these. I would have been way too young for it. Um, But Goofy's Playhouse was like 
kind of this like rubbery, bouncy structure. And that's that's no more. Donald's boat. There used to be a ton of interactive features about it. You could look into the like uh the like telescope, I guess. What is it called on a boat? Not a telescope, but periscope? it's what it periscope. You can look through a periscope on Donald's boat. You can do all sorts of things. All of that's been taken away because so many kids have gotten hurt or sick or thrown up in the in the ball pit. Uh, so those are gone, and those are really bad attractions now. <laughs> They're so pointless. So uh, it's it, you know it's bad when they can't even make the worst bracket bracket. You know, like it's they're they're just like on another plane of worst. So that's one that probably would have taken the crown for me. What's one for you, Chris? Well, for me, it's whatever movie type thing is occupying the Magic Eye Theater. And fortunately, <laughs> when the parks closed, there was nothing playing. So there wasn't anything on the official attraction roster. Obviously, they had Captain EO there for a really long time. Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. They did this Star Wars Path of the Jedi thing there for a while when Tomorrowland was very Star Wars-y, where it was basically just various clips of people talking about the Force and, like, what a Jedi is. It's a huge theater. It's gigantic. But, I don't know, it almost feels like a waste of space to me, especially in Tomorrowland where, like, it's a place a lot of people tend to go. To have this big theater that sometimes houses an attraction, I don't know. It seems like a waste. Mandy, what's something that just missed the dance for you? Oh, so at the top of my list was uh, Snow White's Scary Adventures. I don't even know why you have (laughs) Snow White in the title of this ride. It should just be called Evil Queen Traumatizes You for Three Minutes. Um, I know they're doing a refurb to make it less scary, but why, Disney? Why? Uh, The takes come in so hot right off the top. You're you're ready to play. I'm ready. <laughs> See, I'm like extremely disappointed that they are dialing down the scariness because I loved trolling people that had never been on that ride oh, before. Be like, oh, it's Snow White. It's great. You're going to love it. Yeah, I love that ride. I love that it was scary. You needed a little something like that in that part of the park, you know? So I'm bummed that it's gone. Uh, Mandy's probably happy that it's, it's gone, the scariness. Uh, and it made... It would have made her worst bracket. So there's that. But Chris, let's talk about what did make our worst bracket. We are talking the worst Disneyland attractions that are currently in the park. Let's cue up that dramatic music. And here we go. Order up. Coming in at number one, Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes. You can never have enough meet and greets. Soaring in from a galaxy far, far away into the number two seed is Star Wars Launch Bay. Straight out of Flushing, standing at the number three spot is the Disneyland story presenting great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Sitting in the number four seed is a complete pathway obstruction. It's Tarzan's Treehouse. Breaking dollars and breaking hearts, Gunning into the number five spot is the Frontierland Shootin' Exposition. To the windows! To the walls! To the walls. To the steps that make people fall. <laughs> Can't see dioramas at all. From the center of the park comes our number six seed, Sleeping Beauty <gasps> Castle Walkthrough. Everybody's got a raft in place. Floating into the number seven spot, Pirate's Lair at Tom Sawyer's Island. 
It's a ride shorter than the sentence. Coming in at number eight, it's Gadget's Go Coaster. It's an even smaller world after all. Drifting into the number nine spot is Storybook Land Canal Boats. Transporting you uncomfortably to the number 10 seed is Casey Jr.'s Circus Train. Cavs, eh? Spinning into the number 11 spot is Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin. Screaming, Mom, look, look, Mom, look. As it twirls at the number 12 seed is the Astro Orbiter. Shake your ass emo, watch yourself. <laughs> Bumping into the number 13 spot is Autopia. Sweating its way to the number 14 seed with barely cracked windows is the monorail. No twain, no gain. Paddling into the number 15 spot, the Mark Twain Riverboat. And hot boxing in Tomorrowland and rounding out our bracket of 16 is Nemo's Submarine Voyage. Oh boy, these are some bad attractions. Smoke seaweed every day. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mandy, when you got this bracket in your hands just a few days ago, what were your initial thoughts? You know, I think this is actually going to be tougher than it looks because I think that there are some bad rides for kids in Disneyland and some bad rides for adults in Disneyland. And um, just looking through this list of attractions, um, there's some that go head to head, so it's uh, going to be interesting to compare and contrast them and uh, pick our worst. Yes, it will be. And let's go ahead and get started. It's the number one Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes versus number 16, Finding Nemo's Submarine Voyage. I'm going to start over at Davy Crockett. Uh, I had some friends, Chris, that didn't even realize that these canoes existed in the parks, which I I think makes sense because why would you look for canoes at Disneyland and why would you seek this out? This is a attraction in which, I don't know, 15 of your closest friends can get into this boat and paddle your way around the rivers of America. These used to be called the Indian War Canoes, which is a bit problematic. I think we can all agree. There were a lot of parts of that part of the park that were very problematic, and we're going to dive into a few of those, I'm sure, as this episode goes on. But it has a history of not being great. Uh, for me, not an experience I want to have at a theme park. If I'm going to canoe, it's not going to be in the murky, gross waters of the rivers of America in the middle of Anaheim, California. We, we currently reside Chris's a California native, but we currently reside in a state in which we can find canoeing areas fairly easily. Why would I do this in Anaheim, California? I wouldn't, and I don't want to. There was a, an incident, folks, in 1990. Found an article from the LA Examiner that spoke of the entire canoe sinking into the rivers of America. I don't know about you, but in my 26 years of existence, I've never fallen into a waterway at Disneyland, and I'm very thankful for that. Have either of you? Not yet. Uh, I don't think so. No I one don't dropped a so. foot into Splash Mountain when you're trying to get into that log? No, no. I, yeah, people throw stuff in the water, in all bodies of water at the park. <laughs> Food, loose change. Also, there are animals like 
ducks and cats and rodents that are walking around that probably make toilet out of some of those bodies of water. So I, like you, am very glad. Yeah. I mean, the issue with rides or attractions like this one, and there's a, a lot of them on this list, is that the window is open for human error. On a lot of the other rides, we can hop on this automated system. You think about like how crazy Space Mountain is, right? And how these coasters are running on a completely computer-moderated uh, system in which they can break at points that they need to break depending on the weight of the train. Not Canoes don't care about how heavy that canoe is. That canoe will sink if it is too heavy, and that's exactly what happened in May of 1990. There were too many people in the canoe. And not only that, but it was a bunch of like early 20-somethings that were just splashing around. And a <laughs> quote from one of those 20-somethings, uh, she says, uh, there was... <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so imagine like you were a part of the reason why this canoe sunk. And then you got interviewed by the news. And your statement was, there was total chaos going on. It was comical because they kept saying, it won't sink, keep paddling. And it just sank right there. <laughs> Jeez. Classic so, Disney. Everything is fine. Just keep paddling. We will make it to shore if we keep paddling. Just keep swimming. Boat. Just keep swimming. Yeah. The, the OG just keep swimming. That's where the writers were inspired was from this incident right here in 1990. So the issue for, for the canoes is it's a lot of work. There's a lot of paddling that has to be involved. I'm not necessarily looking for an arm workout when I go to Disneyland. Uh, I'm also not looking to fall into those waters. Now, let's go ahead and go over to the other side of the park to Tomorrowland, everybody, where Nemo's hotboxing with his friends around the lagoon. This is an absolute nightmare for anybody that suffers from claustrophobia. Let me tell you that. This ride is a lot longer than you think it would be one you're just like how are we still going in the circle and two this ride <laughs> you are packed into this very small submarine you are underwater the entire sub's not underwater but you are underwater looking through these little tiny portholes that have little kids fingerprint smudges all over them and in this in this environment in 2020 environment, no, keep, no, those smudges, thank you. No. keep those smudges away from me. So not only are you in this small water capsule on a ride that is a little too long, there's no air ventilation that is efficient enough to keep up with the amount of bodies in these submarines. These submarines stink. They are so disgusting. So... Uh, also, the, the attraction itself is this weird, like, hybrid retelling of Finding Nemo, except, like, now Nemo's gone off with, like, whatever Crush's little kid was, and they get, like, kind of lost in this lagoon. I don't know. You're too busy thinking about how much you want to be out of this capsule as soon as possible to even pay attention to what's happening in the storyline. So, Chris, my pick to move on in this bracket, which means which attraction is the worst out of these two, is Finding Nemo's Summering Voyage, because at least in the canoes, I'm in the outdoors, fresh air. I don't have to deal with this 
you know, uh, the the air being recirculated in my face, smelling little kids' farts. I'm advancing, <laughs> finding Nemo's as the worst ride. I mean, they don't have to be little kid farts. They can be big kid farts, mm. grown-up farts, grandma uh, farts. Who knows? They could be, but little kids smell something different. So let's briefly talk about some of the history of both of these attractions. The Davy Crockett Canoes opened in 1956, so they're not park originals, but they're very, very old. This whole experience really reeks of original Disney. So if you're one of those people who loves like iconic retro Disney, Davy Crockett, the West, all that kind of stuff, I mean, this plays right into that. You mentioned how... Yeah, like we can go canoeing anywhere, but there are people that, you know, they they can't necessarily do that anywhere. And I like that it is a real experience of sorts. Like sure. it is it is semi-immersive. You feel like you have left Disneyland. At least I do. When I'm out way way past uh where the waterfront is, back behind like the Native American village and the settler's cabin and all that stuff. So it feels pretty immersive. I mean, you could make the argument that it's uh, more of a slow-paced ride if you're looking for kind of like a more relaxing day at the park. But on the other hand, you can make the argument that, like, you're going to have to put your back into it. (laughs) And and that's the problem with this ride is that you're depending on strangers to either do all the work for you or you're mad at strangers for uh, not doing anything when you're the one doing all the rowing, right? Correct, yeah. It's fun when you have a group of five, six, seven of your closest friends on this boat, but when it's mostly people you don't know, it's frustrating sitting behind (laughs) someone who's splashing you because they can't row in time with the rest of the boat. So it can be tiring. It can be not so serene. The cast members. Every time I have ridden the Davy Crockett canoes, I get assigned a cast member who is like performing a hazing ritual. Like he is always, it's always a man and he's always so like, come on guys, let's see you roll. He's like the Gaston of the Davy Crockett experience. They all got their sleeves rolled up and they're just like, I don't know if they're like peacocking for the guests or what, but yeah. Uh, I don't want to be yelled at when I'm trying to like enjoy my day in the park. Uh, there is a famous cast member named Duke who has like a very famous Davy Crockett spiel that he does. It's not for me. I can understand why people might think it's funny. It's very jungle cruisy uh, by being kind of like reflexive, navel gazing. It, it like you know pokes fun at itself. I get it. Not for me. The big thing with this ride and both rides, really, is the accessibility issues. Uh, If you have any kind of mobility issues, you are not riding on this ride. You are not getting into this boat. Congrats. You just saved yourself from two experiences that you should (laughs) never have. Finding Nemo slightly rectifies this by having like a viewing room where they play a video <laughs> that is supposed to kind of replicate the experience. We there's an that. attempt. It's not we great, but there's multiple, an attempt. We see yeah. that multiple times across this bracket. It comes up a imagine, couple times. Imagine uh, paying all of that money and you have to go to a viewing room. Honestly, hopefully, if, you, if you're showing up to the parks and you can't get on to Nemo's, Hopefully you just chalk it up as like that just saved me that experience. 
So the submarines opened on June 11th, 2007. I was there the following week and waited waited about five hours in standby. Jesus. Gosh. I was a pass holder at the time, so I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm here all the time. I'll do it. I want to ride these things. I loved the subs growing up, like the original yeah. ones that opened in 1959. The Sea Serpent. Yep. The Sea Serpent, Serpent, the mermaids, mm-hmm. uh, the big grouper fish. It was great. Um, and just like the vibe was very 20,000 leagues under the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Very authentic feeling. The Nemo version definitely feels a little more cartoony, uh, but it's supposed to. It's it's Nemo. So I entered the queue at the old motorboat cruise docks, which is like right by the entrance to the Matterhorn. Uh, and the <laughs> line, yeah, gosh. the line wrapped a couple of times down uh, underneath the monorail tracks, down around the lagoon. Uh, and then it did those like eight switchbacks oh, where those umbrellas are. That creates a huge bottleneck on the Fantasyland exit side of Tomorrowland. This queue is terrible, all right? Like, this is yeah. one of the worst queues in the park because there's there's no theming. It's just all outdoor switchbacks, switchbacks that felt like they're just, like, thrown in there. They're like, we got a little section here. Let's just put them there. So I definitely hate that aspect of it. So... There was a reason the submarines were retired in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) I love the nostalgia play and being like, oh my God, I love the submarines so much. But like they went out of commission for several reasons. Number one, super expensive to operate because there's a lot of water. Two, high maintenance, frequent maintenance because something submerged in water. Anyone who owns a boat knows that you don't keep it in water if you want to keep it in good condition. And three, very low rider throughput. Like per hour, you just can't fit a lot of people on these things. So right. the lines move excruciatingly slow. So like when they came back, I don't know if they expected like people to just forget about all these things or what. Um, I don't know if they just wanted to add like another kind of family friendly ride, but to me, it feels a lot like the Little Mermaid ride in California Adventure, just with kind of a different atmosphere, a different ride system that is almost like overly complex for what it needs to be. I mean, this lagoon takes up a huge footprint in the park. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like, it creates a really nice vibe, uh, especially like when you're looking over from Tomorrowland. You can see like the Matterhorn, you can see the monorail coming around. You see totally. the subs, like, picturesque. It's great. Yeah. But, like, this park is becoming so popular and so busy, and they're looking for ways to, like, make planters smaller. It's like you have <laughs> this huge lagoon that they got rid of in Florida, and no one really cares. Oh, Chris is a get-rid-of-the-lagoon guy, huh? I guess so. I mean, I don't ride Nemo. Yeah, neither do I. I don't do it. Uh, I don't ride... Davy Crockett either. So this one's, I mean, kind of a toss-up. I'm going through the pros and cons here. Uh, I'm going to go with canoes. I think the canoes are the more painful experience. Uh, so I'm going to give this one to Mandy to tiebreak. Man, first tiebreaker. Dang. <laughs> okay, so I think this is going back to what I was kind of talking about with this bracket is you have some rides that are great for adults and some rides that are great for kids. 
Finding Nemo is fantastic for kids. Um, I remember even just like riding the 90s version of this ride before it was Nemo themed and just feeling that sense of Disney magic. You go underwater, you hear the fish talk, and the scenery is just so beautiful. And the artistry that goes into making this attraction, I think, is really stellar. As an adult, you are trapped onto a boat with screaming children who are going, Dory, Marlin, Nemo! You can't even <laughs> hear the story because children are freaking out, and rightfully so. But if you're an adult, this is an awful attraction to go on, and you know you wait hours and hours to get on the submarine full of screaming children, got neck pain from not being able to view out the window, uh, and you're sweating and just feeling the germy grossness. Um... The Davy Crockett Canoes, I'm going to be honest, I have never experienced this attraction at Disneyland. I've just never really, I knew it was there, but when you have like the Mark Twain Riverboat and the pirate ship, you much rather go on those than like get a paddle. I am glad that you mentioned um, cast member Duke though, because in watching the YouTube ride-throughs of Davy Crockett Canoes, I was like, <laughs> I need to go on this. This is Jungle Cruise <laughs> on like steroids. This man, and he's like, yeah, you know that an hour of doing this burns 508 calories, you can burn a full churro. And I'm like, yeah, Duke, like, you're getting me in shape. Um, so this is a really tough matchup, because you go with the one as an adult that's a more painful experience, or do you go with the one as a kid that's a more painful experience? And I think in this case... I think I'm going to agree with you, Chris, and move Davy Crockett Canoes on. I know that's crazy for me, but I think that Finding Nemo's Submarine Voyage as a kid just captures that sense of Disney magic. And so Davy Crockett Canoes as a kid, you would be miserable. And as an adult, it sounds fun, but I got to agree with you and move on Davy Crockett Canoes. Well, the fact that you've never been on it, I think, says something about like the attractive, <laughs> like, you're. this is not an appealing ride to- to someone who goes to Disney parks, right? I'm like speechless. I know. It was I'm a tough one, but pick. as a kid, well, that submarine is just like, wow, and canoes, you never sure. never know they're there. We'll leave Nemo's hot box behind and move Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes on to the next round. Next matchup, we've got the number eight Gadgets Go Coaster versus number nine Storybook Land Canal Boats. Now... Gadgets Go Coaster opened in January of 1993, along with the rest of Toontown, basically. I mean, to me, there just really are not a whole lot of pros to Gadgets Go Coaster. I would not describe myself as a roller coaster enthusiast just because I refuse to be lumped in with people that do. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you kind of are on this show, though. You're, you're the... Uh, the roller coaster expert in in the in the show comparatively to like me and whoever the guest is. I am a person who enjoys riding roller coasters. <laughs> I will say that. I'm a person who is pretty educated about a lot of aspects of roller coasters as well. So the fact that a roller coaster credit exists in Disneyland is nice. There's also Space Mountain and the Incredit Coaster. I think those are the only other two on property in California. Only other like official oh uh, Big Thunder Mountain, those are the yeah. and that Matterhorn. So there's plenty of, <laughs> <laughs> but this is a first roller coaster for a lot of kids, and so you know if you're a kid who 
is growing up in Southern California like me, you pretty much have two options, Magic Mountain or Disneyland. And I guess I was just kind of a brave kid, and I really was uh, inspired to, like, tackle those big, huge roller coasters at Magic Mountain. But some kids need a little more convincing. So, like, the fact that you could get them on something tame like Gadget's Go Coaster at a very young age, I like that. It's something in theory that everyone in the family can ride because roller coasters are things that make people sick, right? Like they're intense. Not everyone can handle it. And so gadgets is like so, so mild, which is a good thing for a family park and a kid's section of the park. It's a terrible roller coaster. Like it's awful. (laughs) It does not exert a whole lot of forces on your body. It does not go very fast. And it's over in like 15 seconds. This attraction has a terrible rider throughput primarily because they only run one train operations traditionally roller coasters run two sometimes three so that there'll be a coaster out on the layout and then one in the station so they'll they're loading one when the next one comes into station they'll send the one that was previously loading out on the course keeps everything moving but with gadgets they just launch one and it's going around additionally These seats are so small on the train that you can only fit two riders per row if both of those riders are, like, small children. Like, under the age of, like, eight. Anything older than that, they have to get their own row. So the line moves very, very slowly because they might only be sending, like, seven people out per train. So statistically, Gadget's Go Coaster has one of the top two worst ride time per wait time ratios in the whole park because it's so quick and you wait so long for it. So that's really frustrating for adults and children as well. The other thing is this coaster is engineered by Vacoma and Togo, and it is a clone. There are dozens of this exact type of roller coaster Littered throughout the world. Disney parks, non-Disney parks, everywhere. It's a very simple, like, figure-eight-type layout. uh, And you've probably been on one without even knowing. Also, the theming's pretty weak. I don't really get it. Who's Gadget? Is that Inspector Gadget? Does anyone know? Oh, my gosh. Have you never seen Rescue Rangers? I hadn't. I also thought it was Inspector Gadget until researching. (laughs) What? Oh my gosh. Rescue Rangers is great. Chippendale. You got Gadget. Little fly guy. It's great. Great show. I mean, there you go. It's themed after something that has not held up and does not have recognizability going for it. Yeah. Um, Truth be told, most of the theming in Toontown is pretty weak. Feels pretty cheap and pretty easy. Um, But I think they were going for quick and easy up there in Toontown. Oh, Michael Eisner doing his thing. Was that uh, like hot take or? <laughs> I mean, Toontown looks like what Toontown would look like. I don't know what you're talking about. Cheap theming. It looks like a a, a Toontown. I I can understand that. I think some of the attraction theming is definitely geared towards '90s kids and not modern day kids, perhaps. Oh yeah, thousand percent. Th- this was a this is a time capsule of a land, which is why they're like putting in. Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway yeah. to try and transition out of that. I can imagine like this area being completely renovated in the next like 
15 years once we can get back to to normal like time but yeah you're right i mean the entire this was a land of the 90s that was built for that time and they just never kept up with it which is unfortunate but the theming i think is like what they meant to do but sure sure and we'll talk a little bit more about toontown at the end of this episode but let's talk a little bit about storybook land we talked a lot about it on the Fantasyland <laughs> Attractions bracket, and Taylor, like, went hard. She Just, called it, like, she could do this at Michael's, I yeah. believe is what she said. <laughs> what? Uh, I hope Taylor's listening, because that was just incorrect. Like, <laughs> Taylor, you need your own HGTV special <laughs> if you can create that at Michael's, because that is impressive. <laughs> I find it to be extremely immersive myself. Uh, It's built with these high berms so that when you're boating through this canal, you can't really see any other parts of the park other than uh, the Casey Jr. train going around you. I find it to be quite enchanting. Uh, You know, love the classic Disney fairy tales, and this one hits on a lot of them, not all of them, but um, it's just cool to see the, the intricacy of the artistic crafting and the scale models and all that stuff. I think it's really cool. And I know it could be boring to a lot of people, but I, I think it's impressive to look at. Storybook Land was an opening day original attraction. Technically, uh, had a little, some issues, which we talked about in uh, the Best Fantasy Land bracket episode. I enjoy it. Uh, I really do. It does have its fair share of cons, though. The first being that the queue is pretty bad. It's just a very small section of chain switchbacks. Very, (laughs) very close together. Uh, And I have a great story about just how bad that can be. Please. It was uh, overcast day, I think. And we were waiting in line for Storybook Land. All of a sudden, I hear the sound of someone pouring out a water bottle behind me and i i could feel it like splashing up on my leg Uh, and i was like oh like what is like why is someone doing this in line and i turn around and there is like a 10 year old keeled over projectile vomiting (gasps) uh, like directly behind me and if the queue had been like a straight line i might have been like far enough away but because it was in one of those like wraparound sections, I was like standing right next to him. Uh, uh, I just stood there like my jaw just completely open. I was like, this is really happening right now. Oh, um, my gosh. So uh, I have some trauma there for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, the ducks provide a little bit of a break in the illusion when they're like standing by some of the little castles it's like there's a really (laughs) giant duck there um kind of like breaks the little barrier a little bit it's great i like it when they eat the scenery it's like godzilla attacks kyle i think we're gonna end up having to talk a lot about accidents and lawsuits throughout this bracket storybook land when it comes to lawsuits and accidents always stems from the docking of the boats on the return as well as the entering the boats upon boarding yeah very easy to tip over also very (laughs) easy to get limbs and appendages and fingers jammed or or in some cases completely lost uh so there's some definite danger there disney's done 
an okay job providing some like uh, little barriers and like rubber bouncy things and buoys to to kind of keep the boat from doing that. Sure. But I mean, it's always a possibility. So this is an attraction that there's some risk involved for sure. Every time mm-hmm. you get on it, also super not accessible. It would it would definitely be a, a chore. You might be able to do it, but it would definitely take a, a little bit of patience to get someone in and out of that boat. At the end of the day, like I said, I, I tend to enjoy Storybook Land. I couldn't imagine Fantasyland without it. I couldn't imagine Disneyland without it. Gadget's Go Coaster, I'm fine with it going. It's a poor quality roller coaster. I'm advancing Gadget's Go Coaster. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. It's It's a bad coaster. I don't agree with all of your points, but I enjoy, I actually like enjoy Storybook Land. I know that it's like a boring, slow boat ride for a lot, but like you brought up when you're kind of going through the attraction, the high berms cut you off from the rest of the park. You're very well transported in this ride. Talked a lot about it on the Fantasyland attraction bracket, so go ahead and listen to that if you want some more takes, but uh Storybook Land is ousted by Gadget's Go Coaster as the worst attraction. Gadget's is going to move on for me as well. Mandy, any reaction there? Any surprise? No, agreed. Um, Storybook Canal Boats, I mean, I love I love this attraction. And, and part of the reason why I love it is in the day, sure, it can get a little boring. But at night, I think, is when it really comes to life. And one of my favorite Disneyland memories is my mom, my little brother, and I somehow got on this ride right before fireworks, and they stopped the boat and let us watch the fireworks from the boat. And it was the most magical Disney moment I've ever experienced, just being surrounded by, like, Disney miniatures and watching Tinkerbell fly and the fireworks go off. It It was very special. So I'm happy that we're moving on Gadget's Go Coaster. Wow. Love that story. All right, let's talk a little bit about the number four, Tarzan's Treehouse versus number 13, Autopia. So Tarzan's Treehouse, as I said in the intro, is right in the middle of the pathway through Adventureland. Not super ideal. This was, forgive me, Chris, maybe you did the research on this. When was the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse installed? You don't know. Great. <laughs> this this attraction existed before the Tarzan uh, theming. It was a an attraction called the Swiss Family Treehouse. And that original attraction had a very iconic song to go along with it. Swiss Apolka. Go ahead and listen to it. You'll hate us for making you listen to it because it'll probably get stuck in your head for the rest of that day. 1962, Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. Thank you. Yep. So 1962 is when this attraction showed up in Disneyland. It stayed since. It's still there, just with the retheming of Tarzan. So a lot of walking involved in this one. You're already walking through the park. Now you got to walk a little bit more. This one involves you walking up this tree-like structure. And you're essentially walking through the story of Tarzan. You've seen the movie. Now you're going to walk through it all within this like tree. There's a lot of things to touch in this climate. Don't like it. <laughs> Don't like it at all. <laughs> this is another one with that you brought up, Chris. Like, so my whole theme of like, there's an an uh, avenue of human error that has opened up. This is another one where your enjoyment 
of this attraction is based upon what those in front or behind you do. So if you are walking through this, it's a very narrow kind of walkway through this entire treehouse. If the people in front of you are going way too slow for your liking, you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're holding up the rest of the line. If the people behind you are on your heels, you feel rushed and like, why am I even doing this? Can't even stop to see anything. So as you go along through the treehouse, there's a lot of these like dioramas. There's these, you know, sculptures and these figures that are just kind of standing there. And there's the, the song and the soundtrack changes as you go through it. So, I mean, it's, it's a walkthrough, right? But your enjoyment really depends on that human error aspect. And that's super unfortunate <laughs> because humans suck. <laughs> are you going to talk about a specific human making a specific error on this attraction? No, I'm not, but I would love if you did. I got a great one for you. Uh Uh-oh. Tell me. This is not that long ago. This is only a few years ago. There is a janky suspended bridge at the very beginning of this attraction. Yes. And according to eyewitness accounts, there was a child who was afraid to walk across the suspended bridge. And so the child's father, to demonstrate how sturdy the bridge is, jumped up and down really hard on the bridge and broke one of the planks and his foot went through the bridge and it was like okay (laughs) human error shut that down yeah whenever kids jump on the suspension bridge at tarzan i want to yeet them off Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, yes, your reaction, Mandy, and the example, Chris, are why human error is a big factor into this attraction and your enjoyment of it, and I don't like that. Let's move over to Autopia. It's a, a car ride. You can you can drive a little go-kart car. Uh, it smells awful. Smell of gasoline is putrid and dense in this area of Tomorrowland. What's even worse about this attraction is the footprint that it takes up in the park. Yep. Anaheim has the problem of size. Yeah, there's n- there's no way you can expand outside essentially what's already built. Uh, they even had to tear down like office buildings that Disney owned to build Mickey and Minnie's Runaway w- Railway. So like the land that's there is the land that's there and you can only expand so much. Autopia takes up so much room. This is another ride in which human error plays a big part in the enjoyment. So Chris's intro to this was about like, do not bump because Autopia (laughs) screams at you not to bump and what happens? People be bumping (laughs) and I hate it. And it's usually little kids that like can't discern from gas and brake, and all it is is taking your foot off the gas. It's so unreal. you get like you get rear-ended constantly. Now there was a time this was an opening day attraction in which there was no middle guardrail to these cars. It was just an open golf cart path, and you can drive anywhere you wanted. And kids were flying off <laughs> the track. A true yeet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they self-yeeted <laughs> off the Autopia check. So thank God that doesn't exist today because that would be even even worse It would be attraction. great, though, if the kids who bump you get yeeted off the track today, yes. though. It would be. 
So now the issue is you're on a track, so there's no way for you to avoid any idiot kids or idiot people on this track. So if, uh, I don't know, somebody lifts their foot off the gas while driving through Autopia, a backup just has to happen because there's no way to automatically make these cars move. The cars are kid-sized. So if you're an adult, not a super comfy place to be. Don't love it. Uh, also, the steering re- steering wheels are forever different on each car. So depending on the sensitivity level, whoever's driving, if they even slightly overcorrect, they're hitting that middle guardrail and just jolting the entire car, which is like honestly a worse experience than flying off the road. Just let me cruise off the path. The historical significance can be important to people. Chris, you brought that up about this kind of nostalgia play and like this has been here since day one so we must protect it It doesn't exist for me actually i wish that they got rid of it and we got something like the tron coaster or something cool you know uh even if it was a slower attraction or something that was more just more themed it doesn't have to just like throw coasters everywhere but this like i said at the beginning this takes up a huge footprint so i wouldn't miss if it's gone When you match up the two, you can have the argument of like Mandy, which is like I either never or don't go on it, which is me with Tarzan's treehouse. It's just walk right by it. Or it's like this takes up space and it's the worst because it shouldn't take up this much space for such a poor attraction. So which one is it going to be? For me, Chris, I'm going to move on Autopia as the worst attraction in this matchup strictly because of the pain points in driving the human error of crashing, and the smell of the gasoline. Yeah, um, I'm kind of in the same spot where I really, really dislike Tarzan's Treehouse for a lot of reasons. Some of those being that it's it's in it completely inaccessible for anyone, again, with any mobility issues. There's no screening room of this. There's no helping someone along this attraction. You just can't do it. You mentioned the figures, those things are trash. Those things are terrible. They're like shiny wooden carved statues. Yeah. Calling them figures is like generous. <laughs> so the first figure you see is Sabor, the leopard in Tarzan. And he's right. like growling in the treehouse. And if anyone's ever seen Tarzan, that means he must have just murdered Tarzan's parents, right? <laughs> so yes. like, I don't know what, what people are supposed to Exactly. Are people supposed to look at that and be like, oh, cool, lion? Because it definitely comes off to me as you just walked in on the scene of a terrible, (laughs) terrible accident. (laughs) And so I'm like, okay, maybe it's just like they weren't thinking, I don't know. But the next main story vignette is Kala and baby Tarzan. Yeah. So, like, clearly this is what you have just walked in on. <laughs> like, you just yeah. walked in on the murder and adoption scene. You can make the argument, all right, it's atmospheric. Like, you have frozen this movie in a moment in time, and you get to immerse yourself in it. Wrong, because there's a weird fast-forward in time, and the last diorama you see is fully grown Tarzan and Jane. <laughs> so, like, there's a weird passage of time that happens on this attraction that I just don't understand. If I was going to build a case for Autopia being good, 
I would say that it's probably a really solid money generator for Disney. Selling that sponsorship probably makes them a lot of money. It yeah. was Chevron, I think, in the early 2000s and is now Honda. Mm-hmm. Also, I love transport rides. Um, and it adds to that kind of like futuristic version of tomorrow that Walt Disney always had where there was going to be cars and monorails and people movers and submarines and bobsleds all like intertwining. And so I kind of, in a way, feel like transported into a, an alternate reality when I'm deep on the Autopia track. Sure. It has kind of a longish ride time. Some rides, you hit diminishing marginal returns on the ride time, and you're like, I got to get off this thing. But some of them, like, you wait so long that it's, like, nice to have a 10-minute attraction. Great example is Pirates of the Caribbean. It's a pretty long ride. You don't really notice it, but it's pretty long. Yeah. The thing about the Autopia ride length is that half of it is spent waiting to get back onto the loading platform. (laughs) You're, like, like backed up just praying to God a child doesn't (laughs) – come in hot and just give you a whiplash. Yeah, Uh, that's so real. That is the majority of the experience is sitting in the like parking lot of Autopia. By the way, folks, the attraction far and away with the most lawsuits associated with it at a Disney property, Autopia at Disneyland. No, it's not even a question so many whiplash claims everything of that nature and i mean it's fair like the risk is there and so whether you hit the guardrail in the middle and whiplash yourself or some seven-year-old tycoon comes barreling into the back of your (laughs) honda whatever model you're driving these days they are very slow but all you have is this like very cheap twine like seat belt that's built for two i guess the only alternate would be to have like a racing harness at that point the loading procedure becomes like so insane that it's just not even worth it so um kyle i'm actually gonna agree with you i think just like the size of the footprint and the number of Things that can possibly go wrong with this attraction make it much worse than Tarzan's treehouse. Mandy, do you agree with us in our hatred for the Autopia? Oh, yeah. Like, I'd much rather jam out to Phil Collins. It keeps me calm. It keeps me collected, even if I'm stuck behind a slow person. Um, Autopia, long line, loud noises, smelly. Agree it should move on here. All right, next up, we've got the number five seed Frontierland Shooting Exposition versus number 12, Astro Orbiter. Frontierland Shooting coming in at number five. Uh, This is surprising because this is an attraction I feel like a lot of people don't realize exists, but apparently they do. Some of the pros of this attraction, this is an objectively fun activity to do. Uh, you've got a ride version in Buzz Lightyear. Interactive shooters are a ride genre. This is a standstill version, but shooting laser targets is objectively fun. It is not a Disneyland original, but it was opened in 1957, so it has that similar classic western vibe. One of the other positives is I'm pretty good at it. Oh, I spent one (laughs) afternoon one day and I kind of like learned how it works exactly. And that 
makes me happy and proud of myself. I don't know. So <laughs> good job. Good job. I don't like. I don't like unequivocally hate this attraction because because I'm good at it. Sure. Some of the cons: uh, guns. Guns are bad. No. <laughs> Having guns or any type of like gun type thing in the parks always makes me a little bit like skeptical. Finding change to put into these machines has become more and more of a chore as the years have gone on. I don't just have 50 cents in my pocket. I don't even just have a dollar in my pocket to put into the change machine. Right. So you kind of have to like plan out that you're going to do this thing if you really want to do it. Y'all, this is an experience you can do at the Bass Pro Shop or at the Cabela's (gasps) or at the Gander Mountain. This is literally exact thing. It's like it's so, everywhere. yeah, it's so cheap and like carnival-y that it doesn't feel very special. So right. oftentimes I just walk past it. Kind of like with Nemo's hot box as well. Getting your face close to something a stranger has just touched is extremely gross. Mm. And to get the targets... You have to really stare down that barrel. You cannot <laughs> shoot from the hip. You have to look down that thing like cheek to barrel. So right. I feel pretty gross doing that. Uh, also, this attraction is usually pretty empty. Like I usually do not have a hard time uh, getting like a little shooting area. You could say that's a pro because there's no weight, but you could also say it's a con because clearly people don't really like it that much. Astro Orbiter opened in 1998. At least this version of the Astro Orbiter did. Uh, Prior to that, it was the rocket jets on top of the old people mover loading station. But this Astro Orbiter that has created a bottleneck that will last until the end of time (laughs) (laughs) opened in 1998 with the new, new Tomorrowland. That bottleneck has been somewhat mitigated, allegedly, recently with the removal of the French fry rocks, if you want to call them that. Yeah, I haven't been since. Yeah, I haven't been since then. I don't know. You know me and spinners. I am not a spinner guy. Things that go spinny, I do do not. Things that go spinny make me sicky. So (laughs) I don't love it. Uh, It does provide some cool kinetic energy to like that Tomorrowland area, that uh, central hub area. Just, like, something cool to look at. This is another ride with a really boring queue. It's pretty much exactly like a storybook land where it's just some switchbacks outside. Uh, This is also a ride that is not built for two adults. This has still Mm -hmm. got those, like, um, cuddle seating like the old Matterhorn bobsleds used to have. So, like, this is really frustrating because, like, you have groups of adults that want to ride it, and if you have a group of four adults, now they've taken up, like, a third of the rockets. That just makes the wait time so frustratingly long. And like you look at those adults and you're like, "Why are you on this thing? You don't be you you don't want to be one of those people that like judges other people for choosing which rides to go on, but like you do." Uh, but little kids love spinners. I mean, this is a great little kid ride. It's it's maybe a slight small step up from Dumbo. One time when my family and I were doing a gumball rally type thing where we were trying to ride all the rides in the park on New Year's Eve, I got to watch like a minute and a half of Paint the Night from the Astro Orbiter, which was, <laughs> oh, nice. it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, you get a nice little view of the area, so I do like that. 
for how many problems I think the Astro Orbiter creates, I think there is definitely a place for it on the park roster. So the Frontier Lane shooting exposition, I think, is the worst attraction. I wouldn't mind seeing it go, so that's the one I'm advancing here. I don't love shooting galleries. Shooting galleries are f***ing awful, and this one makes you pay after you just paid 150 bucks to be in the park. At least the Astro Orbiter is free. Frontierland's the worst. It's moving on. Uh, Astro Orbiter, you're safe. You're off the bracket. Mandy, any uh, qualms with that advancement? No, agree. I kind of think of like what land would be most affected if this attraction went away and got replaced with something else. I think Astro Orbiter does so much to greet you into Tomorrowland. And the Frontierland shooting exposition, you kind of barely notice it. It does fit the theme well, but I think it could be easily replaced. So agreed that it should move on here. All right, let's talk about the next round of matchups. We're crossing over the bracket here to number two, Star Wars Launch Bay versus number 15, the Mark Twain Riverboat. So the Mark Twain Riverboat is this massive riverboat that you can ride around the entire loop of the Rivers of America. It is on a track. Uh, however, it is this very nostalgic and calm experience that you can kind of escape the hustle and bustle of Disneyland in its current state, which is extremely crowded. There's a little spiel like as you go around, you have the captain that's explaining what you're seeing as you go. On the current iteration, you pass a beaver that's chewing on a log that is a support beam for the, the train bridge. You pass the Native American village. You pass a lot of wildlife. It's a very peaceful, calming ride around the river. It's a great escape. I don't see anything bad about it other than I. it's not on my priority list. I can see why people say this is the worst attraction because they feel like it's, it's not on their list of like, here's my top 10 attractions I'm going to do in the park. But I don't think it deserves to be on like, the worst especially in its current iteration it's kind of actually a nice escape from the park and luckily for it it's matched up against launch bay which is just a (laughs) it's just a like layover of the old carousel of progress area that now hosts meet and greets with chewbacca and darth vader and some movie props from the the new star wars trilogy and you can see a little documentary on the creative team, and I don't know. I've never stepped foot in this place, and it's not just because I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, because even if I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, I'm going to be kind of interested in seeing props from like a movie or a cool interactive thing. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, but I still want to do like Galaxy's Edge stuff, for sure. But this place is... Once again, a waste of space in Tomorrowland. So it's going to move on as the worst spot. Mark Twain's going to get off this bracket. Kyle, there are a lot of problems with Mark Twain. And as Disney starts talking about more inclusive projects moving forward and refitting things to be more inclusive, I think the whole Rivers of America experience needs to be on that list. Sure. I think that it still has a place once all of that stuff is done. 
I think this river that has traffic on it makes the park the high-quality space that it is. Like, a normal yeah. amusement park might just be a concrete jungle, just a big, flat parking lot paved over, and let's just put as much stuff in as we can. And Disney dedicates so much space to this. And, like, on the one hand, it's like, you could get something so much more popular there, but at the same time, like, these are the types of things that makes Disneyland unique. That being said, there are some other really bad things about it. For example, if you miss the boat and you wanted to ride that boat. Good luck. I hope you're patient. I hope you get a place to sit as well because it might be a while before it comes back around. I was injured on Mark Twain (laughs) at one point. Something I didn't even realize was possible. I was standing underneath one of like the steam tunnels, towers, whatever they're called. All of a sudden, a scalding hot water droplet hits my forearm. It was so painful. It wasn't painful enough where I'm like, all right, let's go. Just give me some money, baby. But it was still like, ah, dang. Like, I feel like that shouldn't do that. Wow. Uh, Yeah. So stay away from the steam when you're on Mark Twain. Also, something kind of dangerous about it. I know y'all seen Fantasmic, right? Yeah. I know y'all seen all of the characters in the Fantasmic finale on that dock. Yeah. Tell us about it. I know you've Tell seen us all about of it. <laughs> Tell us about it. One of my favorite Disney fail videos of all time is Dopey <laughs> on the top deck of the Mark Twain running along to the Fantasmic finale music. Bails extremely hard. <laughs> Falls an entire deck, lands on Goofy's head. I hope the performer was okay. Um, yeah. But it's funny to watch. It's physical <laughs> humor, and I watch that all the time. And it had to be dopey, too. It had to be dopey. It's perfect. It's perfect. Of course. Love a good Disney fail. Uh, we have to consider the amount of Star Wars we're putting in this park, the amount of space we're dedicating to Star Wars. Sure. I mean, this is not an attraction I recommend to anyone. I wouldn't be like, yo, dude, you got to get to that launch bay. Got to get in there and check all the Star Wars stuff. It's so cool. Can't miss no. it. Maybe like a diehard Star Wars fan, but like Mark Twain, it can be enjoyed by anyone, really. So I am advancing Star Wars launch bay. Mark Twain is safe. Mandy, do you agree with this decision? What are your thoughts on the Mark Twain Riverboat experience? Yeah, this is a toss-up because um, I am a Star Wars fan, so I really enjoy the Star Wars Launch Bay, but it is a space where they've like struggled to figure out what to do with it for years, and I'm expecting it'll be like rethemed soon with Galaxy's Edge. Um, I will say, Tess and I, who's been on the pod before, had a really bizarre experience on the Mark Twain Riverboat. Tell us about it. Um, so it was our birthday. We were celebrating our birthdays in the park together because we were, were close. Um, and we got invited up to pilot the Mark Twain Riverboat, which amazing experience, especially if you're a little kid, like it was awesome. But our cast member who was the pilot for the Mark Twain Riverboat was a little off. Um, we weren't sure if it was supposed to go with like a Huck Finn type character where he's telling tall tales. But the first thing we heard from this dude was, oh yeah, this boat is not on a track. If you don't steer it correctly, you will run into the dock into all these people. 
And so I'm freaking out because I'm not a licensed boat pilot. What am I doing? <laughs> Disney, what are you doing to me? And as the ride went on, you know, you of course realize it's on the track. But if you're not knowledgeable about that moving forward, that was a scary thing to hear. Sure. Um, and it was a little bizarre, the jokes he was telling. It was like, oh, yeah, two weeks ago, the, the rivers turned purple because something happened with Fantasmic where the, the chemicals got in the water and it all turned purple and all the fish in the rivers died. It was very bizarre. Uh, oh, wow. We don't know what was up to this day. <laughs> but Star Wars Launch Bay can move on, but I just wanted to toss that out there. If you get that same cast member, hit me up so I can know what <laughs> happened to us. That's it. That's really interesting. I mean, I think some of the cast members in some of those more quote unquote boring attractions, maybe like a little less like glamorous attractions, might try and like have a little too much fun with it yes. to like make themselves feel like relevant cast members. Sure. Perfect example yeah. would be like a Duke type on Davy Crockett. Like, <laughs> let me take this, you know forgettable type ride that is often overlooked and let me like make it so special and like make it the highlight of someone's day right yeah, yeah for a second yeah. i thought i was gonna get murdered in the captain's quarters of the march Twain river boat so <laughs> not great not a great feeling you want to have on a disney attraction let's move on to the next matchup it's number seven pirate's lair on tom sawyer island versus number 10 casey jr circus train so we talked about Autopia being the lawsuit magnet of Disneyland. The next Enter. on the list, Tom Sawyer's Island, which is essentially a glorified playground. And yeah. all I see it, like the only value that exists for this whole area existing is for parents to just like let their kids go. Mm -hmm. some kids have a little more energy i was like a baby yoda of a ch as a child and you know <laughs> very very like calm so um this wasn't really my jam uh but yeah it, it can be dangerous for children or like even you know grown-ups who are just aren't paying attention aren't watching where they're stepping totally it was an opening day original experience but i mean I don't think anyone thinks about that when they're on Tom Sawyer Island. It's going up against Casey Jr., which uh, we covered a little bit on Best Fantasyland Attraction. This is another old-school Disney ride. It was supposed to open with the park in 1955, but it opened two weeks late just because they were reprofiling the track a little bit, uh, making sure it was a safe experience. So it was technically not an opening day original, but, I mean, essentially it was. It provides some solid kinetic energy to the storybook land experience as well as the rest of Fantasyland. I love a good transport ride. Uh, something that all ages can do. It gets a little bit tight if you want to start throwing grown-ups on there. But, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's something everyone can do. Uh, little kids especially love being thrown in the lion cage or yeah. the monkey cage. I monkey don't know cage. why. Like, like, being in a cage <laughs> is fun for some people, but uh, I always used to make fun of those kids. Something that's not so great about this ride, there's basically no queue at all. Like, there's not even a switchback for this. It's just, like, a ramp, and if the ramp is full, just you're relying on everyone else just, like, creating yeah. their Good own luck. queue. 
Yeah, and the loads are super long. The weight moves really slow. So it's something I kind of stay away from for that reason. I mean, I don't go on either of these. These are both things I stay completely away from. I think for this matchup, I'm going to have to lean on the safety aspect and advance Pirate's Lair uh, and save Casey Jr. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with you. I don't think that Casey's is a bad attraction. I actually really enjoy the song. I like the kind of nostalgia that comes with it. You said that it's technically an opening day attraction. It is. The marquee's fun because the marquee sits atop a old ticket booth, yeah. uh, old Disneyland ticket booth, so that's fun. Also a little lazy on Disney's part, but we'll let it happen. And uh, yeah, you're right. The kids love to get into these weird cages. It's a weird train. There's a lot of transport uh, attractions in Disneyland. This one's really unique. Pirate's Lair, I, you won't catch me on it at all. Even as a kid, I'm like you. I had no interest in it. I was fairly calm, didn't have energy to run out like a lot of kids do. And there's some pretty horrific injuries that happened on this island. And it could still happen. I'm with you. Number seven's moving on past Casey Jr. Casey Jr., you are safe. Mandy, what are your thoughts? So these attractions are both near and dear to my heart as one, I was a rowdy kid, and two, <laughs> I was a monkey cage kid. Um, so we can get more into Pirates uh, later on Tom Sawyer Island later in the bracket. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to de delve further into it. Let's talk about number three, great moments with Mr. Lincoln versus the number 14, the monorail. Who has issues with the monorail, yo? Monorail's great. A lot of kinetic energy, gets you from place to place. Maybe it's not something that you're like, I'm going to ride this while I'm in the park. But even while you're in the park, you're going to notice that this attraction's gone if it wasn't there. Plays a pretty major part within the heart of uh, Disneyland moving past Alice and around the Matterhorn. A lot of historical significance with the monorail. It's the first daily operating monorail to be on the Western Hemisphere. They love to talk about that. The bad parts of it is that the windows don't really open because like, there's been accidents on this, on this attraction and they want to keep from accidents happening by not letting you open the windows, which honestly makes sense because as I've been saying all episode, episode long, human error plays a huge factor in the enjoyment of any of these attractions. And if somebody were to leap out of a monorail, your day is ruined, son. Yeeting myself off the monorail. Yeeting the Autopia kids off a monorail. <laughs> uh, so it gets hot and Southern California doesn't get humid hot like Florida does. Uh, but it gets hot. I uh, haven't heard an instance of a monorail door falling off like it does in Florida. So we have that to our advantage here on the West Coast is that we have a fully functioning train. But during the summer months recently, maybe it was last summer. I don't know. COVID's been a long time. Don't remember when that started. They didn't operate the monorails as frequently as they could because it was so hot and they knew that the trains get so hot. Down on Main Street, we have great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Chris, the one and only experience I've had with this attraction is with you. And because you had us walk into this theater. <laughs> one, 
because I remember it was it was fairly warm, so this was a nice place to like get out of the heat yeah. and go sit somewhere air conditioned. And two, because like we had been walking around all day, so it was a nice place to go sit down. If you know anything about me, I'm not big on patrioticness. There's a lot of that in this. A lot of patting on the back for what America has done, especially surrounding somebody like Lincoln. You wait a long time to see this animatronic that everybody's talking about. The pre-show, as you're sitting in your seat in the theater, is extremely long. And there's a story about two brothers that you have to go through. And there's there's just so much. And it's so boring. And by the time you get to Lincoln, you're like, okay, it's a little chilly in here. I think I'm ready to go back out into the park. And then Lincoln's there. And you're like, well, this is what I came here for. I've brought up on past episodes that the significance of this linking uh, animatronic is very huge in the world of not only theme park industries, but also just like how we develop robots. It was really the first of its kind in the 64 World's Fair. Uh, But it's, I've also said on this podcast, like I'm ready for this thing to leave. It's a part of Main Street that could host something else. It's, I'm not saying that we're going to plant a spinner or a, a roller coaster there, but it's a show building and maybe something else can go there. Montreal has at least a use in transport. Therefore, Mr. Lincoln is moving on as the worst attraction in this matchup for me. I'm glad you talked a little bit about Walt Disney World monorail system because... <laughs> um, Yes, the Disney World monorails are in desperate need of an update. Mm-hmm. But once you ride that monorail system, you really understand like what it could be. This is a really effective mode of transportation because there are huge, 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 huge distances between parks in Disney World right. and you can utilize monorails and gondolas and buses and boats to transport yourself through the entire Disney World property. And so I think I have a very like positive view of uh, the Disney World monorails. And so when I go back and I look at the Disneyland monorails, I'm like, this is so unnecessary. Like, this is right. so worthless. There was a time where the monorail stopped directly at the doorstep of the Disneyland Hotel, and they've mm-hmm. since like pushed it back a little bit. So it's not even really a Disneyland Hotel stop. It's just a downtown Disney stop. And I'm not even sure that that's a super effective way to get from the park to downtown Disney after you factor in waiting for the train. Uh, and right. then getting over there, like you probably could have just walked as long as you didn't have like a huge family of people of all ages you were trying to transport as well. You know, we're spry young people. So I think <laughs> I, could, I feel confident that like if we raced each other, uh, we'd get there on foot just as fast. I also just like have the history of the Mark 7 monorails the versions currently in operation at disneyland just like etched in my brain like they had such 
a difficult time getting these things in service. This was like at the peak of my Parks fandom. I didn't miss an article on Mice Chat. Didn't miss an article <laughs> on Mouse Planet. Like I was, I was in there. So I was following this like Mark Seven monorail saga like daily. So like, if anyone isn't familiar with this story. They commissioned an entire new fleet of monorails, three trains for the Disneyland Resort. The first one, Monorail Red, was supposed to arrive in December of 07. Didn't begin operation until July of 08. Blue was delayed from April 08 to September 08. Orange arrived in August 08. Opened in April of 09. So like, <laughs> oh my gosh! And the reason that all of these trains had issues is because of those airflow problems the mark five trains that they were replacing they were like grandfathered into the old like unsafe safety measures that you could just open a whole window and like (laughs) these new safety measures made it so you can't do that you can't put an air conditioner on these monorails apparently so they're installing these like vents in the roof to try and like get air down into the car and it was just such a project that it, it just seemed like it was taking forever to get them on the track. And even after they did, they still don't work when it comes to right. like getting proper airflow in there. And in the age of you know, public health that we're in right now, I mean, airflow is essential in addition to just being comfortable. So like, uh, I definitely have like a, a negative perception of the Disneyland monorails at this point in time. Lincoln, however... Uh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Leans very, very hard on the patriotism, specifically how it romanticizes the Civil War in that two brothers sequence. Like it's a whole mm-hmm. song and it's like they frame these brothers as having this really sad story. One of them straight up fought for the Confederacy. Like let's calm down <laughs> with like making it a sad story. <laughs> we don't need to be doing Civil War lessons at Disneyland. We just don't. If I was going to cherry pick like one positive thing about this attraction experience well i guess two number one would be that the pre-show area outside the theater has a ton of really cool disneyland memorabilia this is like where the disneyland gallery was relocated after they took it down from above pirates of the caribbean which rest in peace that was an incredible spot in the park so it's fun to just go look at but like you don't have to go on lincoln you can just like walk in and out and look at the cool disneyland stuff uh there's a, a really good line in the excerpt from the lincoln speech Uh, where he basically says, if there's ever danger to be expected in America, it's going to come from within. It's going to come amongst ourselves. It won't come from abroad. Uh, We're going to author this danger and we will finish this danger. So like we we have to like stay under control. Right. Don't fight amongst ourselves, basically. Which is like a sentiment that everyone needs to hear forever until the end of time. Mm -hmm. But again, like that's, that's like five seconds out of this whole like... 15, 20 minute experience that no one needs to experience. So, uh, yes, love the history associated with Lincoln, the animatronic at least, but I can do without it. So I'm advancing it, leaving the monorail behind. Monorail safe. Uh, Mandy, thoughts on moving Lincoln on? Oh, great. Like the monorail has a very practical purpose, and I've tried to witness great moments with Mr. Lincoln. 
and I don't know how to do it. Um, I feel like maybe I'm just showing up at the wrong times, but I walk into this building, I see a shadow of Lincoln, I hear endless like things playing, and I just don't have the patience to stick around. So, All right, well, uh, goodbye, Monorail. Mr. President, we'll see you next episode. Let's move on to our last matchup. It's the number six Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough versus number 11 Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin. So we'll start with Sleeping Beauty. Man, this castle has a surprisingly interesting history. Um, totally. Obviously, like, was the center icon of the park as it was being constructed. Park opened in 1955. Sleeping Beauty did not come out until 1959. Mm. So, like, what? Disney was banking on this movie being successful and, like, resonating with audiences. And thank goodness that gamble paid off because um, Seriously. it's still standing today. So the original walkthrough opened in 57 to promote the 59 film. And it featured a lot of like wooden cutouts that were reminiscent of the animation style of Ivan Earl, who just did incredible work on that movie. Updated in 1977 to match the uh, aesthetics of like the Main Street window displays because mm. one of the complaints for park guests was that like, they're, they've all seen this movie now and they're expecting all of the story beats from the movie, but it was like just the castle story beats. And so Disney in 77 was like, let's include all of the Briar Rose stuff, the Once Upon a Dream, the stuff, you know, when it's her birthday. Right. Uh, to kind of like better tell the story of Sleeping Beauty. And if you get a chance, I highly encourage you look that walkthrough up on YouTube because it's great. <laughs> they are um, basically animated Barbie dolls, um, and it yeah. just looks very poor quality. The highlight is uh, Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether waving goodbye to Aurora. Uh, or maybe it's hello or happy birthday to Aurora or something, but slightly terrifying. It was closed in 2001. Some people speculate it was due to 9-11 and some of the security concerns that Disney had with, like, Sleeping Beauty's castle being the target of potential terrorist action. But they never like officially confirmed that. They were just like, oh, we're reimagining the space. Tony Baxter was like, we can do better than this. And so, <laughs> and they did, honestly, like uh, they essentially restored it to its original state for the most right. part, excluding like a couple of small scenes uh, with just new tech. And it looks awesome. The problem being, it's a lot like Tarzan's Treehouse, where you're yes. relying on the speed in which the party in front of you is walking. Yeah. So, like, you are hoping that these little kids aren't, like, sticking their face up through this tiny window for, like, 15 minutes. Because you're standing there waiting to stick your face in that tiny window as well. It's also got uh, accessibility issues. Again, they remedied that by having, like, a little virtual viewing experience off to the side. So someone who maybe can't make their way up and down the stairs in the castle can kind of experience it, at least see what's inside. This current version only includes dioramas from scenes that took place at the castle in the movie. So like they have to take some serious liberties with the story and skip over some pretty iconic moments in Sleeping Beauty. As someone who's seen the movie, it it works for me. Like I overlook those, but like... There are these little open books that try to tell the story. And it's just like, they skip stuff. That's like, wait, that was like pretty important. Right. Um, 
Like provides a little context for like what's to come. So maybe. But the biggest misstep. It's absolutely criminal. They say in like the climax, the Maleficent dragon showdown with filthy Phil. The book page reads, Maleficent turned herself into a flame-spewing dragon to stop Prince Philip at any cost. It was a fearsome battle. The prince finally threw his sword and struck the dragon in the heart. Wrong. (laughs) I mean, like, that would be like me in my beer league softball game hitting like a juicy pop fly to the center fielder and he's too drunk to catch it and I run around the bases pretty quick and I score. I'm like, dude, I hit a home run in softball today. It was awesome. It's like, yeah, you did that, but like... There are some outside forces helping you do that. Absolutely. So uh, as a filthy Phil critic, I have an issue. I have an issue with that. No credit to the assist from Flora. This is very erasure. Yeah. <laughs> Going up against Roger Rabbit, which uh, is a 1994 Toontown attraction. I don't know, y'all. This ride feels really out of place to me. It's like a family dark ride, but it's spinny, so it's slightly thrilling. And it ends up being neither here nor there for me. Like, it's not <laughs> a pleasurable dark ride at all because you're spinning around, so you miss... All of the story elements, like if you don't get the spin just right. Uh, And it's not thrilling enough to be like a thrill ride. And the thing is, like, this ride always pulls 45 minute, one hour, 90 minute waits. And it's like, y'all, this is not worth it. So this is a ride I've really only done a handful of times because I just don't want to waste time going up there. Sure. Little credit to the movie, I guess. The world building is pretty good in Roger Rabbit, and that makes its way into the queue. Not a bad queue. It, it is an indoor queue that goes deep into the building. Uh, there are a lot of cool little like jokes, like tune jokes uh, that reference the movie or just, uh, just play on words being a tune. So it's not an excruciating wait once you're inside the building. Also, there's like a, a hole effect. Uh, Roger's like, I got a box of holes or a portable yeah. hole or something like that. Um, and it gets me every time. I don't. I like. I know it's a mirror and kind of like a mechanical like archway that pops in and out. But in that low lighting, when you're coming at it like spinning into it, it looks, it looks great. Yeah, it looks pretty good actually. I really, really, really want uh, Roger Rabbit to be replaced with something else, <laughs> something a little bit more contemporary something that's just like a little bit more appealing sleeping beauty it has accessibility issues but other than that i think it's a fun experience and it's something i recommend to people because it's not too difficult and usually don't have to like wait in line to go do it it's just like a quick little like between long waits maybe you're going from like space mound to splash mound or something like you're waiting back instead of waiting an hour back to back for two attractions just like a little pit stop do a little Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough. Give us something to do without having to wait for it. So I am advancing Roger Rabbit, and I'm saving Sleeping Beauty. It's cool that you can go into the icon of the park. I think that is very cool and could be unexpected, especially because the entrance to the walkthrough is kind of situated on the side of the building. It's not 
what you typically see in other attractions where you're walking through the center of the facade. Here you have to kind of walk through the castle and then over to the side a little bit. And then there's your entrance and you walk through it. As you said, it's very dependent on who's in the castle at that time. I said it in my intro, you it's hard to see the dioramas if you're not front and center. Which is very unfortunate for folks that actually want to see these kind of like beautiful pieces of art that are in these dioramas. Another kind of claustrophobic area, it's it's a trap in there if you are not ready for it. But the idea is great and it's beautiful and I I do like to bring people on it if it's like the first time that people have been to the park. I don't know that I will ever walk back in there if it's not somebody else's first time. I, I mean, I guess now that like we have to cherish every moment of Disney park <laughs> memories because we don't know when this will ever happen again. But like in a, a normal situation, I probably wouldn't go back into this thing roger rabbits will go ahead and address the elephant in a room that somebody died because of this attraction uh very unfortunately and then disneyland took measures to try and keep that from happening again which they did successfully you mentioned the queue and the theming of the queue i do also really enjoy that but the queue is also very infuriating because there's so many quick switchbacks that you think you're about to head back towards the loading area and then it will turn you back around away from it. <laughs> swerve? The, swerve? Yeah, so many swerves. The entire ride is a swerve, including the queue. I really, really, really like Roger Rabbit. I really enjoy that movie. I really think that they, obviously it, it doesn't fit in the park because they put so much bank on the fact that Roger would take off with audiences then it didn't quite do that. You have this kind of icon of Toonland that or Toonland, icon of Toontown that you would expect to kind of expand further if there was popularity and it never did and I think that's partially why Toontown is so stagnant. I'm all for a Roger Rabbit comeback. It just it seemed like they didn't try very hard. Yeah, I I, I, think- I can't really think of another Roger Rabbit thing. Yeah, I might have had a Roger Rabbit video game at one time. I think on an old like uh, floppy disk or something, but I don't remember them like trying to make it a thing, and it just didn't work out. Well, and I think what happened was they just lost money to do it. Euro Disneyland was around the same time, and they they lost a ton of money trying to open that park in Paris. That I'm sure plans for any Roger Rabbit like aggressive marketing had to go by the wayside. You're right, this this is a dark ride that's not a dark ride. There's a thrill element to it, and I really like that. I think that this is a, an expecting attraction for folks when you're like, we're going to go on this Roger Rabbit ride, and you've been on every dark ride in this park since we got here, and now here's another one, and oh, we're going for a spin. <laughs> and I know you hate spins, and that, no, that adds you. that to you, <laughs> to you, but I love this attraction and the movement with the spins and... You know, it's it's kind of like Snow White. Love bringing unsuspecting people onto this attraction, and little do they know, you control the spin of this car <laughs> as it goes around. Chris, I think just for rideability for me, or just visibility, I'm I'm gonna 
advance Sleeping Beauty as the worst because I actually enjoy doing Roger Rabbits when I can. I'm not going to stand there for the 45 minutes, but I definitely am going to walk through the castle on my way to other things and not stop by the walkthrough, which means we're going to end this episode with a tie break from Mandy. Woo! Okay. Um, I have to admit I'm a huge Sleeping Beauty fan, and I think that the fact that you get to walk through the like iconic Disneyland castle is just so magical. Um, on the other hand, Roger Rabbit cartoon spin, I feel like I am on a dizzy acid trip, which is not a great <laughs> yeah. feeling I like to have at Disneyland. So I'm going to have to agree with Chris and move on Roger Rabbit cartoon spin. Oh, God, it's the quick hits with you. I never know where <laughs> you're going to go because I think you're going to expand and all of a sudden nope. I'm being handed an L. Let me just review. Mandy has had an acid trip on Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin Correct. A magical Disney moment on Storybook Land Canal Boats and yep. a religious awakening on Space Mountain. Yeah, and You're you haven't and even haven't... heard the Tom Sawyer Island stories. So. I was going to say. <laughs> Which we will get to in episode two. So let's recap very quickly. We have in the Elite Eight, we have number one, David Crockett Explorers Canoes versus the number eight, Gadget's Go Coaster. Down a little bit, we have number 13, Autopia, versus the number five, Frontier Shooting Exposition. Across the bracket, we have number two, Star Wars Launch Bay, versus number seven, Pirate's Lair on Tom Sawyer's Island. And to wrap up our Elite Eight is the number three, Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, versus number 11, Roger Rabbit's Cartoon Spin, all in contention for the worst Disneyland attraction. Mandy, Thank you so much for joining us for this first part. We didn't really put you to work, but you have some stories to tell in part two, and I really look forward to that. I'm so excited. All right, folks. Well, you know where to reach us if you think we're wrong on this, if you think these are some good attractions, if you think we saved some really bad attractions. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at mousemadnesspod. You can join our brand new Instagram at mousemadnesspodcast. You can also join our Facebook group or our Discord server, which are both linked in the description of this podcast. We love hearing from you. You've got bracket ideas. If you want to be a co-host, you want to be a tiebreaker, let us know. We would love to have you. Till next time, folks. All ashore. All ashore, please. Check your lighter. And they fly me.